This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Hi everyone, this is Raoul Pal, the CEO and co-founder of Real Vision, and welcome to my podcast. Every week, I'm lucky enough to speak to tons of smart and innovative people in the financial game. I get so much insight from these conversations, and that's why I wanted to start this podcast, so I can share that knowledge with you. I hope you learn from the discussions, and you can always find more in-depth content at realvision.com. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. I'm in a Solus hotel room in Atlanta right now, and so I'm not able to do the uh, rounds of ventures in crypto. And as ever, my friend Sergio is stepping in to follow our journey into Web3, and particularly in this time, NFTs. Alpha Century Kid is one of the single most respected artists in the space. He's shown at Christie's, he's been a pioneer, and super excited to get him on the platform. I love his work. And I really am interested to see where this conversation with Sergio and Alpha Century Kid goes. So enjoy it. I'll see you all again soon. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Real Vision Adventures in Crypto. I'm Sergio Silva sitting in for Raul Pal today. I'm really, really excited, as you just heard Raul say. We have an incredible artist a rising star in the NFT space, in the crypto art space, a good friend of mine, Alpha Centauri Kid. Welcome to Real Vision, my friend. Thank you for having me, man. It's an honor to be here and and happy to chat with you as always. So yeah, I really appreciate it. No, thanks for being here. I think it's been a super exciting month for the space. Obviously a lot happening, uh, but particularly for you, some big news came out. You have your first physical piece being auctioned at a major uh, house, Christie's. Uh, can you tell us more about it? Yeah. So yeah, it's my first contemporary um, auction with Christie's and it'll be for their November day sale and it goes live November 18th. Amazing. Can't wait to have you here in New York and see the piece. And we'll of course talk much more about it, but first I want to give the audience a chance to get to know Alpha Centauri Kid or ACK, A-C-K, as you're known in the space. It's been a meteoric rise um, which has been super interesting to watch, especially this last, you know, nine months where NFTs have really come off their frothy levels. Yet we continue to see good art, limited editions, one-on-ones perform well. Um, basically a combination of quality of artists, but also the ability of artists to really connect with the space. Tell us about your first encounter with NFTs. When was that and how did it happen? It was when Beeple did his uh, evening sale with Christie's for the first 5,000 every days. And yeah, that was, I've been an artist my whole life, but when I saw that, I realized like, wow, people, people do care about art in this kind of a way. So um, I just dove in and yeah, I just tried to, um, you know, get my foot in the door and keep things interesting. That's amazing. So Chris has really been a part of your NFT story from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. That's so great. And yeah, we're really exactly. grateful to have the, the exclusive here at Real Vision today. 
So you see the Beeple auction, $69 million. The whole world's going, what is going on? Uh, you as an artist, you see an opportunity. How did you go about learning about NFTs from that point? Yeah, that that really like seeing after seeing his sale, I really I dove into his art and really started exploring, you know, the first five thousand pieces, and it showed me that people are interested in like meme art and memetic stuff like that. So I had some older photoshopped art that I had made over the years, and I just hopped on OpenSea and minted a few pieces, and yeah, my first piece sold for like thirty dollars a few weeks later and my wife was like oh, this is stupid and then uh, yeah i just <laughs> i couldn't believe someone was willing to pay 30 dollars for my art and then once that happened you know I, I started to take it a bit more seriously and try to hone my craft now were you always known as alpha centauri kit because i know you have some pieces called pre-ack what was do you have a different uh, uh name that you went by back then i ch yeah so i started out as um crypto starman is some some dumb name i came up with and uh but alpha centauri kid had been like my music name that i would have been my alias to make music on and i started as crypto starman and then made a few sales and i decided you know what i don't i don't i don't want to be known as this if i ever get known so i decided to go back to my roots because I'm, I'm a bit of a science nerd and you know alpha centauri is the next solar system closest to ours and so yeah that's, that was kind of the origin of that name. So you're also a musician, you said. Uh, mm -hmm. I know Ralph's going to be wishing he was on this interview now because he's a big music head as well. Uh, Just real quick, how does music influence your visual art? It influences it a lot, to be honest, especially lately, like the past six months. Um, I'll listen to something or I'll play piano or I'll play guitar and um, just just wait for like a visual to come to me. And then once once I see something that's interesting, I'll write it down and I'll I'll keep playing that music over and over again until until like I bring that vision to life. So yeah, I, I really try to bake the the music or whatever I'm listening to into the aesthetic. For me, yeah, music plays a big, big part. And I think your pieces have a certain score too that's very, you know, ACK like. So you go from crypto starboy. To uh, <laughs> at some point um, in what early summer of last year, and then it was almost like a new revelation in the space. Uh, your recognition yeah. grew pretty quickly. Um, I think your style is is very you know very easy to tell. But you did mention right now you looked at people's five thousand days and you saw the power of the memes. And I think a lot of the collectors in the space immediately recognize your embrace of those memes. Mm. What, what for you kind of like was the decision to first go about with the meme art of which you produced a lot, I guess, last summer, which was really what put you on the map. And why do you think that was better um, than just trying something different? Yeah. Um, great question. So I don't know, honestly, I think um, cause not a lot of people were making Pepe art back then you know there was matt fury of course and maybe a few others but on foundation you know there wasn't much so i saw an opportunity to to you know and i i, I knew of vvd back then and his pepe fanatic but um but yeah so like i i just took a risk and 
I've, I've learned over the years that if there's an opportunity that not many people are involved in and it's something that I'm good at, it's, it's usually a good chance to like make, to become, you know, more known or like to step out in front of the crowd. So, so yeah, I tried a few memes and, uh, on foundation and that's when I went from like a two ETH cell to a 42 ETH cell with, you know, my first big piece, my first big Pepe piece. And then, yeah, from there I, I did another, a few more, but I didn't want to like continue cause I'm not a Pepe or a meme artist. I used it for what I needed it for at the moment and, and just kept going forward towards, you know, my goals. That's awesome. And to put into context for everybody listening, Pepe is that green frog that you see in a lot of the memes around the internet. It really does predate crypto and crypto art, but it's been embraced by a lot of the crypto art community. There's a very vibrant uh, Pepe art community on a chain called XCP that runs pretty much off Bitcoin. They have different kinds of almost trading cards, rare Pepe's, ACK, you've done one of them. Um, there's a lot, a lot of collectors really focused on Pepe art. So I think it's very smart that you went in that route and really capture the imagination of the collectors while at the same time able to kind of like share your te techniques, your style and your talent. Um, and then from there, so you move from the Pepe art to more of your art where mm -hmm. you incorporate a lot of different elements of life, death, passing, the universe, you made a reference earlier to, you know, the, the galaxy. Tell us a little bit, what is your composition like? You know, what are the elements that are really playing in your art as you go through time? Um, yeah, one of, a few of the re reoccurring themes um, seem to be death and piano and like musical instruments. And also, I also tried to incorporate some crypto elements as well, because I did start out, you know, crypto native in the space and um, that that history for me is important to share or especially back, you know, in in 2021, it was important for me to like bake into my art. But um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't I, I think it's maybe my fear of death that makes me want to put death in, in the art. But um, I'm still trying to figure that one out. I just know it's a reoccurring theme that keeps coming up and I keep pursuing it. And yeah. Uh, and also the muse, of course, who um, I try to just let guide my decision making when it comes to art. The muse, the muse that all of your collectors know and adore and know that, you know, she is really the reason why we're here today, because this big Christie's auction coming up um, is your first physical uh, at an auction house. It's four prints of the muse. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little more about the piece itself first. It's a face of a woman in different colors. Let, let, I want to learn more about the muse. I want everybody to understand what the muse, who the muse is. Okay. So, yeah. So essentially the muse is what I refer to as my artistic intuition. And, you know, the muse is well known in, in the art world and music Beethoven used to reference the muse quite a lot. Um, Picasso referenced the muse, etc. And um, and for me, I started to really feel this presence. I think in mid twenty twenty one, and when I say presence, I mean like a feeling. Like I would get a feeling about a piece of art, and then I would get feedback 
from other people and they would say, you know what? No, maybe you should just continue working on this style instead of doing this other new stuff. But then, and then I would think, you know what? I need to do what they say because they're my collectors. But then I would sleep, you know, before I go to sleep, I'd be laying there thinking like, I'd be really torn and I'd, I'd feel this really strong feeling of like, you know what? No, don't F that. You got to do what you, you know, what you believe in. And then, yeah, the more I trusted the muse, the the more successful I became and the more doors open for me throughout this trajectory. And um, I realized I wanted to put a face to the, to the, to the muse and to my artistic intuition. And yeah, I came across a photo of Emma Watson and it just spoke to me as the muse. And I started working on it in, uh, in Photoshop and and yeah, I just, after I made the piece, I made several variations and I, I, I knew then that I wanted to do a silkscreen print and, um, and portray the muse, how I, how I thought she, you know, looks. So now we have four prints, special kind of paper, uh, and a special presentation to that connects you to one of the greatest artists that's ever lived, right? Andy Warhol. Um, there's definitely parallels and, and if you guys have seen the piece yet, if not, you know, you can go to the Christie's uh, listing website. Um, but you're presenting four different panels. Uh, tell us a bit more about the paper, the connection to Warhol and the presentation overall. Sure. Um, yeah. So the paper is the same paper that Warhol uses called uh, rising museum board. And we, Printed it in Brooklyn, actually, um, at a shop that Warhol, he had printed a few times, a beautiful shop called Pegasus Prints in Brooklyn. I spent a lot of time there over the past few months trying to curate the best four colors because we ha have about 20 that we made. And, and yeah, it was just, it was a lot like it took three months just getting the right four colors because, you know, color curation is really tricky. I love, I love how... Like, cause every time I make a piece, I usually make like five to 10 variations of it while I'm waiting to find the right one that speaks to me the most. And, but I, I do think there are times when you can have multiple pieces as part of like a, a grouping. So that's what we did here. Cause initially Chrissy was asking if I want to do just one. And I thought, you know what, it, it's better to do a quadrant of the four best ones, you know, to pay homage to Warhol since we're doing the silk screen. So once we got the right four colors and we, we set them up together in a quadrant, it just felt right. And I had, I had a few friends come over and, and they all agreed that, yeah, this is the right four. And, and Christy sent some people out to come, to come see the art. And once they saw it and they left, yeah, they text me right away. Like, Hey, yes, let's do this. And they gave me a green light. And it's been quite the journey just to get, just to get to this point. Cause they wanted, uh, you know, I had to get consent from the original photographer which I got. And then I got, I bought a commercial license of the original photo from Reuters, which I didn't have to do, but I wanted to do my due diligence because, you know, normally I don't have to answer to anyone, but I'm working with Christie's on this. So I wanted to give them peace of mind that I went and did my homework and got the licenses and the consent that I needed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's interesting that, you know, as an NFT crypto artist now coming into the traditional world, I think there's new aspects of, like you said, IP copyright that even though the NFT world is full of a lot of like CCO um, art, it does get you thinking more and more about who really owns an image, uh, who should be rewarded, who should receive royalties for a piece of art. So I'm really glad to hear that all that's been, all those boxes have been checked and, 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 Muse is really to be auctioned off in Christie's uh, at their at their sale. Now you mentioned something as as you were talking about you know your process and and talking to the Muse. You did talk mention your collectors a little bit, and you have a formidable set of collectors. Um, everybody from Vincent Van Gogh, who's one of the biggest NFT collectors out there, to sixty five twenty nine and his fund. Um, what is your relationship? with your collectors. How do you manage that? I know you opened your Discord just in June of last year. Um, how have they been helpful to you as an up-and-coming artist in this in this medium, in this space? And what would your advice be to like newer artists who are looking to have similar levels of success as you have had? Yeah, so no, I've been very fortunate to um acquire some of the you know best collectors in the world. And um and yeah I think it's I think it's important to Cause I've, I've done both. Like I've asked for their advice and I've not taken it and gone my own way. And, but fortunately I think they understand, like I got to do what at the end of the day, I have to trust the muse, but, um, but there are like, sometimes like they do give me advice and it's important to really consider what they're saying because they're, you know, they're giving you their time and, and they're, they're thinking about it and trying to be helpful. So, in many circumstances, yeah, I, I do. I do take their advice and, you know, like with setting the reserve, you know, I said I, I wasn't sure what to set the reserve at for this lot. So because, um, you know, I've sold art for up to 800,000 per piece, you know, 500,000. I've sold I've sold art for a, a lot of money, but I didn't want to come into the contemporary art world, art world with that sort of um, an ask. You know, I want to earn my way. In, in the contemporary art world as well. So yeah, I got feedback from, from my collectors and my friends and um, we decided to set, set a, a lower ask just to be more inviting and to be more success, accessible for my first uh, auction with Christie's. But, um, but yeah, for, and for new artists, you know, I think it's important to, to get feedback from collectors for those who are willing, but also to not be in their DMS every day and just, keep it to when it's necessary. And I think the collectors will realize that. And I'm sure you've experienced it as well as a collector, but I think there's a tasteful way to do it. If you do need advice and just try to find that happy medium. Uh, So your advice for new artists is, you know, definitely talk to your collectors, but keep it balanced. You're right. You know, some of us collectors, we do get a lot of, a lot of DMS from, from up and coming artists. And as much as you want to help out, it's just, 
it's hard sometimes to really balance that. I mean, you and yeah. I had an early, early uh, DM conversation that resulted yeah. in a piece that never saw the day of light. Yeah. Uh, but that's kind of how our friendship started. And I'm honestly very grateful that you DM me that day and that, you know, being able to watch you succeed and, and see everything you've built and are continuing to build has been has been really amazing. So thank you. Thank you for your art and your friendship. On that note, thank you. Uh, you know, your trajectory in the NFT space, obviously some big sales early on, uh, some big collectors. And then you also kind of started doing a bit of performance art, I would say, mm. with some of your yeah. pieces. You did some very innovative things. Um, you had a piece where the token was burnt, uh, and then you managed to pull it out of the burn address for the collector. Uh, can you tell us more about, about your performance art around your digital art? I realized there was like uh, another opportunity because Richard from Manifold taught me early on that you can you can update metadata to change the art. So uh, for those who don't don't know what metadata means, it's just it's just the image data. So like the title, the description, and the artwork and any tags related with. But um, so once I realized you could do that. I thought, you know what, there's there's got to be interesting ways to tell stories, uh, you know, with this technology. So my, the first the first performance piece I did was with Christie's, actually, when um, I changed the art immediately after the sale ended, 6529, he, he won the auction. But it started out as a girl holding a piano. It was supposed to be a play on Banksy's Girl with a Balloon but I had a girl holding a piano balloon, but then right towards the, like right as the auction ended, I swapped the data out. This was back in the meme days. And uh, I swapped it out with a Pepe holding a balloon that said, sorry. And um, cause I didn't want, I honestly didn't want to sell that original piece, but um, that piece was more for me and, you know, personally, but yeah. So after that, I realized, okay, there's, there's a market. Like I saw the response and people enjoyed it. So I realized there was a market for it. And I, um, I just, yeah, I just would come up with ideas like, like for the one where we, we sent the piece of the burn address. Um, that one's, that one's kind of a, an elaborate story and requires like me to really explain it in depth. But yeah, essentially I made a piece of art and it was me in a hospital bed and we put a little button underneath the bed that said unplug and to like, so to give the collector an option to unplug me from life life support and kill me, the premise to that piece was I wanted a piece of art to show me laying on my deathbed and collectors waiting for me to die so they can, you know, 10x their their profit. It just seemed like a fun idea. So yeah, so a collector named Trill bought it and he unplugged me right away without hesitation. He, he had no idea what would happen and he murdered me. And then... um I deleted my Twitter and I was, I was ghost. I was a ghost for three days. And then I, yeah, I, we brought the art back on the third day. Well, actually the muse brought the art back. We created a, a wallet called the muse and only that wallet was allowed to interact with the piece to pull it from the dead address. So yeah, we brought it back. I came back on Twitter and everybody, you know, celebrated it and it was a lot of fun and, uh, and Trill didn't hate me after that. So. It really seems that you've tapped into a couple of kind of almost like new audiences within the NFT collector base, right? So 
the Pepe collectors, uh, those who appreciate the early internet memes, and then those who want to be entertained. Mm -hmm. um, the, the different performances you've done. You also recently uh, minted an open edition that had the metadata switch to a CCO X copy piece before that turned into a token that you can burn for a beautiful, beautiful color study that you have. So it really feels like, you know, along the way you've built a bunch of different parts of your body of work that are not just, you know, the digital output that you see on the screen, but you've been really exploring the medium that, you know, NFTs, tokens, ability to change metadata allow you. Are there any things out there that you've wanted to do, but you haven't been able to do or explore just yet with NFTs that you can maybe share, or as people like to call it, a little bit of alpha in that regards? Um, yeah, I definitely have some ideas, um, you know, that I'm, I'm working on, but um, nothing like right Right now, I'm I'm only focused on the, on the Christie's auction and just a few other things. But um, I think there are still opportunities to be a first in in some ways with this tech. And um, yeah, it's just you know once once I come up with an idea, I'll reach out to Young Weekend, who who's a, a brilliant coder and artist as well, and we'll game plan it and figure out a way to write a contract that allows for certain actions that aren't normally allowed like pooling art out of the dead address but yeah i don't i don't think anything to announce just yet and um but there are there are a few things for 2023 that we are working on that, that will be exciting for sure and i know you have a very rabid collector base will be excited to uh to see this come to fruition now Let's let's talk a little bit, you know, broader on this space. Obviously, you've had great success. Um, you know, it's not always the case for everybody that comes into NFTs. Um, what do you think are the biggest challenges today that artists are facing as, you know, this NFT goes from what was pretty much a price bubble um, mm. to now more realistic levels? And we move forward into hopefully, you know, broader adoption in the future. What do you see the main challenges being there for artists first? Um, yeah, I think I think getting eyes on their art is is quite difficult at this stage. I mean, it's it's hard to compare like my my path because I think mine was I don't want to say a fluke because I was I was like right place, right time with the right kind of talent and and edge. I think, but. But I think there's there's always those opportunities for those who are who are like hungry enough. You just have to try and think outside the box, and um, and also think getting like finding good collectors to support is because you know a lot of collectors follow other collectors. It's just it's just kind of how the art world works, and you know even now like I'll share a new artist that I find and. Um, and their their art their collections go get bought up, and I know I'm sure it happens with you and many other you know um, popular collectors and artists. But um, I think getting getting eyes on on new artists is important. But um, it's also important, like once you get that opportunity to continue to shine and like find your own way, because there are you know there are certainly opportunities where you help an artist out like by sharing their work because you love their work. And then they just, they don't really do much after that, which is fine. But if someone wants to have a legacy, I feel like it's important to 
really try and find an edge and just keep making the art you love. And eventually, you know, people will respond and, and, you know, find you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. On that note, um, and kind of like the artist community, you definitely elevated some artists, and some artists in the past elevated you. You had an incredible collaboration with X Copy, which you know, just judging on on the amount of sales, you could say is a, you know the top crypto artist, uh, yeah. crypto native artist. And I mean, obviously, the the community part is one of the biggest draws about NFTs for for all stakeholders. Um, Let's go back a little bit to, you know, the fact that you have a really good dev and while you might not know the tech, you know, inside out like devs do, um, you definitely have taken advantage of, you know, its potential. You've definitely mm. tried to do things that go above and beyond just, you know, putting some visual graphic together, minting it and selling it for, for Ether. I personally think that, you know, to really be successful in the space, uh, somebody probably needs to learn a little bit more beyond just minting and taking advantage of the technology that, that we have today and that will come in the future. Even communities, right, they just don't exist on Discord. They start transcending the group chat, becoming uh, almost, you know, mini, mini network states in that sense where, yeah. you know, they're focused around an artist or a style. How do you feel about people coming into NFTs, spending significant time, but that not really doing anything with the actual crypto underlying technology? Is this something that you will encourage people to at least learn a bit about? Yeah, yeah, I definitely think so. Because like, you know, I had a piece, my, my last super rare piece um, is called I Promise I Can Change. And I minted it, but... I was like, you know what? No, it needs to be more. And like I said earlier, um, I always have about five to 10 variations of each piece that I make usually. So I thought, you know what? No. Um, <clears throat> so I hit up, I hit up young weekend again. I was like, Hey, let's, let's make this an interactive piece, but we're not going to tell anyone until after it sells. So yeah, I made it, we made it to where you can type in the word liar and it'll change because you know, the premise of the piece is I promise I can change but ultimately nobody really changes. So it's more of, it's more of like a reflectance upon me. And obviously, uh, you know, I don't want to be called a liar, but I just thought it would be funny for people to, you know, call me a liar via typing on the keyboard to actually get me to change because essentially that's the only way I'm going to change. And um, so, yeah, so like things like that, like that to me, that made the piece really special because now we made, I were, I'm working with Atomic Form. They, they, they're a display company and um, they made a, a voice activated display for me to where now people can just say liar and they can call me a liar in real time and the art will change. And uh, so, yeah, there's, there's excite If you're willing to do something new and exciting, there's definitely ways to, uh, to achieve that with the blockchain technology. Tell us more about your favorite pieces. So you obviously have referred to the one piece where you died. And now the, I think I can change. It's also a very famous piece of yours where you update it often. 
Um, it's a scene mm. where you know, we can display it. Yeah. It's a scene with a table, a room, it changes, there's a flower, something that's not there. Can you tell us more about this piece? Yeah, sure. That piece is called Till Death Do Us Part. And um, I thought of that piece the day after my super rare Genesis cell, um, which sold to six five punk six five two nine, and uh, which was my all time high at the moment of one hundred and sixty five ETH. When back when ETH was like at forty one hundred, so it was it was massive massive sell for me. And then yeah, the next day I was sitting there like, man, what what the hell am I gonna do next? And I thought, you know what? Let me let me just make a blank. I had an idea for a blank tape, like a blank scene almost, with just a table and a, a, a vase of roses, and a, like I think a glass of wine. So I made it, and I thought, man, this would be a cool, this would be a beautiful scene to make, and to just update for the rest of my life as as I feel like it, as the muse you know dictates, and um, and yeah, I, I took a risk and I minted it. And I, I set it for buy now for 200 Ethereum and it, it got sold within like five minutes, I think. <laughs> I remember, I remember like I minted it and then I got up and went and got something to drink and I, I, I saw a notification on my phone and it was Vince Van Doe saying, um, I'm waiting, I'm, I'm waiting on you to set the table, ACK. I'm like, what the hell? So I looked, yeah. And yeah, he, he freaking, he bought it. Yeah. Insta buy and. That was that was a major shock to me, but yeah, there's there's things like that you can do to where you know you can really make because he wouldn't have bought it if he if it wasn't interesting and intriguing to him. You know what I mean? Like he he saw something interesting and and, and new and intriguing, and he took a risk, and I'm really glad he did. Yeah, that was amazing. I remember that week for you. Just you know, it had um, only been <laughs> what six months since you had minted something as ACK, and now you were breaking. Yeah. Super records, uh, day in and day oh, out. That's right. Yeah. Congrats yeah, on that. Thank you. I remember my wife like kind of screamed. That was that was one of the moments for her. Well, both of those moments with the with the super rare Genesis and the till death to us part. Like that's when we we're like, okay, you know what? This this is real deal. I need to do this full time. And yeah, yeah. I left. I left the workforce and went full time after that. This brings me to a question that I think, you know, obviously not in the NFTs, but people looking at NFTs constantly throw at us, right? The fact that valuations have come down a lot, um, not just because the price of Ether came down in dollars, but also a lot of the initial rush went away. As an artist who's, you know, super rare Genesis went for what over half a million dollars, um, how do you deal or how do you think about you know obviously the volatility that it being tokenized art inherently has and the fact that you know ether might not go back to those levels in a long time um do you benchmark yourself to those prices in eth in dollars or do you just you know think about it differently i think you know people are always kind of like high watermarking things um but the reality is not just in crypto but in everything right stocks real estate you know, humans are cyclical, we fluctuate. How do you as an artist kind of like benchmark that um, as you look back in time? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, well, and you know, when I had that 200 Ethereum cell, that was like 740 grand at the time. Um, 
And, you know, I've, I've had a 201 Ethereum cell this year. That was, that was around 400, 400 grand at the time. So like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's tricky to, I try not to let the last cell dictate the, the new trajectory. And yeah, I'm, I, it is a benchmark for sure, but I learned that like, you can't go up only cause I, I'd run out of collectors, you know, like after my 200 ETH sell, not many people out there have, you know, 200, 300, 400 ETH. They're going to, you know, spend on, on crypto art all the time. So I realized, you know what, it's, it's okay for me to go back down. And yeah, I sold after that, I sold pieces in the 50 range and then the 60 range and the set in the 80 range. I try to, I try to fluctuate with the market. So and, you know, sometimes it's it's okay to let market decide price, but um, I try to control that as well. And, and also, that's another reason why I'm here for the Christie's auction, because obviously, I, I fully expect crypto art to continue to thrive and, and have its ups and downs, but I feel like it'll be here forever. But I want to have art in the in the physical world as well. And, and I want to try and dominate that scene, you know, as much as I can and, you know, tastefully and respectfully. But um. I want to have my footprint as much, you know, everywhere that I can with art. The muse, the muse demands me to be out there knocking door to door on her behalf with my art. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we love the muse. I actually have a print <laughs> of the muse uh, in our apartment at home. Oh, yes, yes. Now we'd love to show the audience, uh, you know, a couple of the pieces we've been talking about so that they can see and go look up, you know, your art. Some of it is on Super Rare. Um, some of it is an open sea. You said you have older works on on foundation, but let's mm-hmm. start with. Uh, I promise I can change. Um, you can see it now on screen. So this is the piece where you go and type liar, mm-hmm. and something happens. You mentioned this is a reflection of how you sometimes see yourself and human nature. But you can can you tell us more about the inspiration for for the graphic? Yeah. Um, thank you. Uh, yeah, I was just, you know, I like, I like making art with skulls, dark, you know, kind of dark glitchy stuff. And, but for this one, you know, it's more, it's somewhat symbolic of like, if you'll notice like the skull there is obviously, like you said, most humans don't, you know, we are the way we are and we can't really change. And I've been called a liar before relationships, et cetera. Not that I think I'm a liar or anything, but, you know, every time I've said, I promise I can change, it's never, you know, I've never really changed. Like, I'm, I'm still the same person. I still make the same mistakes. So I thought it was inter- it'd be interesting to have a piece of art like that that would be interactive, that people could interact with hundreds of years from now, you know, be calling me a liar for, for the rest of time if they wanted to. So that was interesting for me. Yeah, and what's amazing, since it's on blockchain, it's accessible, it's public, right? So anybody yeah. with an internet connection can yeah. go and enjoy this piece of work, this performance um, right. from their homes. Uh, you know, you don't have to travel to a museum somewhere or like, you know, private collection. Some big collector has it on his yacht in the Mediterranean. Yeah. This is a public piece of, of art, which I think is amazing, is another one of the of the benefits of NFTs. Let's move on to to your super rare genesis, uh, Control Alt Generate. This is a piece that still draws heavily on the meme of the space at the time. 
Um, can you describe what uh, the audience is seeing now for for those of uh, of them who don't really have a history of you know art blocks and the space last year? You know, art blocks and and generative art was really was really blowing up um, back then. I mean, it still is. It's still very coveted um, in the art space in general. But um, but yeah, I mean, art blocks was just really really uh, going crazy. So I wanted to kind of I wanted to like document that in the only way I knew how, which was, you know, by making a piece of art about it. And, um, yeah. So, you know, with ringers, um, and there's, there's a ringer that's getting, well, there's a, there's a gold cube that's getting dropped into the lava pit and the character you see, he's generating, um, ringers and art blocks out of the lava and there's some squiggles on the left. And yeah, there's a few, um, there's a few other ringers on the right hand side and just, I just tried to really incorporate the memes of that moment or the, you know, the, the popular art pieces of that moment into this piece as it was like the final of the three part series I made from last orders, which was X copy collab, right click print. And then yeah, control all generate. So yeah, it's just, uh, it's just my take on, on the scene in that, in that moment. And, and fortunately, you know, it had demand and it ended up with uh, the 6529 team. So I'm very proud of that work. I think it's the first time the space um, kind of like saw the potential of your ability to combine your your style with also understanding what's happening and, and immortalizing it on the blockchain. Now, this, mm, final, piece, this final piece that I want to show here, um, kind of dramatic. She loves me not. Uh, you see a character looks like death. Uh, definitely pouring back some some booze. Um, obviously, <laughs> yeah. death. You know, a lot, a lot, very present in your art. Um, is the she part referring to the muse, or what? What is this piece? Yeah, so this piece was my debut glitch piece uh, on the big, like on the big stage, because you know after Control Alt Generate, um, you know even up until Control Alt Generate, I hadn't made a glitchy piece. You know, because I, I was afraid, I wasn't really afraid, but like you would get feedback like, well, hey, X copies glitchy. You can't make glitchy art or you'll just be copying him. But I, I knew deep down, like there's a way for me to do this to where it's me and it doesn't look anything like X copy and it can still be mine. So, yeah, so that's that's where this piece came to be. Um, and yeah, and it, it is death. And in my world, death is like, he's longing for the muse like he and she chose life over him so like he's just you know he's drunk he's in despair he's drinking away his sorrows and and yeah so like i wanted to try and bring that to a, you know a visualization and uh, in, in an interesting way and yeah that's just what i came up with and i love that piece i'm really proud of it awesome well just like death we love the muse it's been an incredible, incredible time hearing from, from you, Alpha Centauri Kid. Um, we're very excited to see you continue to succeed. Very excited for your Christie's auction coming up. Don't forget, four prints, part of one lot, the muse, uh, paying homage not just to Andy Warhol, but you know every artist that's paved the way for, for your career and this moment in time going forward. Um, any closing remarks for us? It's been an amazing, amazing conversation. 
Thank you. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you having me and, and I love what you guys are doing. And, um, and yeah, no, I think, yeah, if, if anyone's in, in New York, uh, November 12th through the 17th and they want to go see the silk screens in person, it's open to the public, um, from those dates, 10 AM to 5 PM. And, uh, yeah, the auction is on the 18th and we'll be accepting USD, US dollar and crypto. So if any of my crypto collectors want to throw in some bids, I would, you know, obviously appreciate that, but, um, but yeah, I'm happy to see what happens with it and whatever happens will be, you know, what the muse has willed into existence so far. So yeah, I'm really excited. And thanks again for the interview. I appreciate it. No, thank you. And thanks to the muse for letting you, uh, letting us talk to you today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She and gave you, she gave you a, a thumbs up. Awesome. Well, thanks, Muse. We appreciate it. ACK, my friend, Big Hog. I'll see you soon here in New York. Everybody else, thank you for joining us today. I'm Sergio Silva, sitting in for Ralph Powell. This is Adventures in Crypto on Real Vision. We'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Hi, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed listening, I've got a free membership waiting for you. If you want to understand the future of everything, then understanding digital assets is the key. We're not ever going back to a pre-crypto world. Blockchain technology is transforming literally everything from communities to healthcare to real estate to, well, everything. That's why in 2020, we launched Real Vision Crypto, the world's premier cryptocurrency and digital assets video channel. Right now, Real Vision Crypto is helping more than 300,000 members around the world understand the biggest wealth creation opportunities in a generation and maybe of all time. And even better, Real Vision Crypto is completely free. All you need to do is input your email address and you get full access to all of the videos and the incredible emails too. Please visit realvisioncrypto.com. That's realvisioncrypto.com and start learning about this incredible world.